And before we come to God's word today in John chapter 11, I am going to pray for our country and pray for God's blessing upon our time in his word. Uh, Today, I read, is the first time in 11 years that July 4th is on a Sunday. And so whatever that means, I don't know. But that's that's the trivia for the morning. And, uh, of course, as we do celebrate our independence, as you'll hear me preach, uh, we are most thankful for our freedom uh, from sin, from Satan, and from death. That's what we'll talk about today. So the Lord is the one who truly gives us freedom. Let's pray and thank him for that and also pray for our country and that God would heal our land. Father, we are thankful that we are free people. Not simply because we live in a free country, but Lord Jesus, because through your death and resurrection, we are free from Satan. We are free from the the chains of sin, and we are free from the eternal consequences of death. We are thankful, Lord, for the freedom that we have in you. And Father, I pray that today, as we as a nation do celebrate our freedom, that we Christians would proclaim the true freedom we have in you, Jesus. And not just today, but each and every day of our lives. Father, I do pray for our country. We are thankful that it is a country that has, over the years, stood for freedom, also for uh, you, God, and has been a place where uh, faith and where Christianity has thrived because of faith. faithful believers, and because of the freedom that we have to worship and to share our faith with others. I pray, Lord, that we as a nation would repent of the sins that are here, and that, Lord, as you told your people, the nation of Israel, that when we repent, you will heal our land. And Father, we do want us as individuals and us as a nation to repent of those sins. Lord, uh, there could be many that we mention this morning. Lord, I know we all know of the the sin of abortion that still is a a stain on our nation. Uh, The sin of of injustice, the sin of racism, uh, the sin of, of many others, Lord that still are part of our nation. As we pray for repentance, Lord, I pray that we would as a nation and we would do so genuinely and that, Lord, you would come to our nation and and heal it and may it be, Lord, a a beacon for the world of, of freedom and faith. And, Lord, I pray also that today as we celebrate, we have the opportunity to be thankful for what makes our nation a great one the freedom we do have, and the opportunities to worship you. So I pray now, Lord, as we do come to your word, that you would teach us and that you would move us, and that, Lord, we would be obedient to you. And I pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue with another one of my favorite Bible stories, Last week was Jonah. This week is Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Death is a natural part of life. It is inevitable for all of us. Although I think often we try to ignore 
that fact. I think the way we do that is we just think, well, it's not going to be today. And because we think that, well, it's not going to be today, and we kind of say that every day, and so we get to the point where we don't really think about it much, or we think about it as something, yeah, we know it's going to happen, but it's going to happen a long time from now. Of course, as we get older, we realize that a long time from now is getting shorter and shorter and getting closer and closer. And of course, someone who is ill realizes that their time to leave this earth may be a lot sooner than others. When we think of death, I think sometimes we think of it as an ending, but really it's a separation. Remember, God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat the fruit, you will die. Eve ate it, gave it to Adam, he ate it, and they died, although they were still breathing and still walking around. But they died because spiritually now they were separated from God, indicated by the fact they were exiled from the Garden of Eden. When we physically die, it's not the end. We don't cease to exist. It's a separation of our soul from the physical body. It is also a separation, as we know who are living, that death separates us from those who are dead. In other words, our loved ones who have passed before us, they're no longer with us. We're separated from them because they have passed. There is a division between those who are living and those who are dead. They are separated from one another. And so death, we should think more of as a separation because it's not an end. It's a separation and there's more that happens after we die. This may sound strange to you, but sometimes when I need a break uh, from sitting in my church office, because if you've ever been in there, there's no windows in there. I mean, Debbie and I just have these boxes that we're in. Uh, Pastor Brady has windows, but this is what he sees when he looks out his window is the cemetery. And so sometimes for myself to get a break, I'll just go to the Welcome Center and look out the doors, and I see the cemetery too. And so because when we get a break and we look out the windows, we see the cemetery, I often contemplate uh, looking out there, the shortness of life, and imagine those olive branch brothers and sisters who are buried there and the, the life that they lived and think about uh, their dreams and how their life came to an end and how, like they who have passed, one day I will, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have something much greater that we're looking forward to. Uh, I didn't go through the whole cemetery, but these were a couple of the stones of people who were born kind of the latest. Not that they died first and were buried first in the cemetery, but notice that Henry Taylor's birth date was in 1839, and Lavina Taylor's was in 1840. Their tombstones are next to each other. I assume they were uh, married. Uh, right in sort of the first, first row of the cemetery, which makes sense. As you go back, the, the ones there lived later in life. It's hard to read, but it says, For Henry's, God's finger touched him and he slept. And that is a beautiful picture in the New Testament of Christians who have died. They're described as sleeping. Also, Lavinia's uh, tombstone says this, if I can read it. Don't cry after, or don't... Cry or worry after me. I am going home 
to rest. Another beautiful phrase describing how don't cry for her, don't pine for her, don't worry, don't fret, because she's resting, she's in the presence of the Lord. And so what I simply like about our church cemetery is that as you walk through it, you often do see statements of faith, statements of confidence in the resurrection or life eternal with the Lord, that even though this brother and sister in Christ has passed and their body is laying in the ground, they knew that was not the end. And their family also knew that it was not the end. When we think about death and life, there is a decision that has to be made in this life. And with that decision comes an eternal existence. John 3.36 says this, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. In Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15 say, Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. These verses simply remind us of this, that death is not the end. There is an eternity after we die. It's either an eternity with the Lord or it's an eternity in the lake of fire. The choice to be made now, for those who believe in Jesus, there is a promise, there is a hope, there is freedom. And we find that in the story of Lazarus. John chapter 11, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus, who was sick. So the sisters send a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. So you know the story well. There's a family, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. This family was close to the Lord. There's a story uh, in Luke where Jesus is having a meal with them. And that story, Mary and Martha are with the Lord. Remember, Martha's in the kitchen making everything. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha's upset that her sister's not helping her in the kitchen. You can understand that, can't you, ladies, especially? And uh, so, you know, that story and how uh, Jesus actually uh, commended Mary for being there because only one thing is important in life. And so she was at the feet of Jesus. Also, Mary is the one who later, after the resurrection of Lazarus, uh, goes and kneels before Jesus and, and wipes his feet with perfume. And so that happens right before his death and his resurrection. So this family has a New Testament history with the Lord and obviously had a close connection to him. And so you can understand when Lazarus is sick, that Mary and Martha, the first thing they do is they ask Jesus to heal him. It makes complete sense. They were believers. They had probably seen or, I mean, they heard certainly maybe even seen miracles that Jesus had done. So they knew who to go to. They probably didn't even bother with the doctor. They just went straight to Jesus. Said, Jesus, please come and 
heal him. Jesus had a conversation with his disciples when the messengers came. And Jesus said that Lazarus was asleep. So the disciples said, oh, well, good. I mean, if he's asleep, that means he's recovering. He's getting better. And Jesus has to tell them, no, he's dead. But it's interesting that he says that he's glad that he didn't go because it's for the glory of God. It's odd, isn't it, that Jesus would hear word that his friend Lazarus was sick but Jesus wouldn't go, that he would wait, that he wanted his friend to die. But we learn an important lesson here, that God's timing is always perfect. In a funeral service, when I, I preach this message, I, I, I comfort the family with these words that I, I truly believe this, that the moment the Lord calls a believer home is always the perfect time. We who are still living may have wanted another day. We may have wanted it to be a different moment. We may have wanted it to be in different circumstances. But when the Lord calls us home, it's always the perfect time. And I believe it's so for Lazarus. Uh, but also, we can broaden that. It's not just perfect timing for when uh, we leave this earth. Uh, we who are followers of Christ, we believe and we are obedient and follow his will. We can have the assurance that what happens in our life is God's perfect timing. Uh, maybe we wanted more time or maybe we want it to happen differently or at a different time. But the Lord wants what's best for us and I truly believe that that is the perfect time when things happen. Uh, Brian and Mary this morning, as we've explained, I think is a perfect example of that. We wouldn't want it to happen today. <laughs> we would want it to happen years from now. But today is the perfect time. The Lord has worked everything out. The Lord has said it's time. So have that comfort. When your life seems like it's chaotic and out of control, it's not. Things are happening in God's timing. If we are following him, I got to be careful and understand that. <laughs> our life can be chaotic because we're doing our own thing. But if we're following the Lord, his timing is perfect. Jesus did eventually go. And there he was met by Martha. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Martha, I, I don't, well, we don't know her motivation. I don't think she's accusing Jesus and saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you had been here, he would be alive. 
in a sense that she's blaming him for her, her brother's death. I think she's simply stating a fact. But she had faith and she understood that Jesus is a healer. If he had been there, Lazarus would be alive. I think it's more of a statement of her faith in the Lord, especially as she continues to have this conversation with the Lord. And even in that, when she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would be alive, she says immediately after that, even now, Lord, I know that whatever you ask, God will do for you. That's an amazing statement of faith right there. And I think it kind of points to what's going to happen, even though she doesn't realize what she has just said. And then Jesus tells her that your brother's going to live again. And Martha's thinking future. And she says, yes, I know, there's a resurrection. You see a great knowledge of Scripture that Martha had and a deep faith that she had. And Jesus even says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he asked her, do you believe? And she says, yes. But notice what she says. She says, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. And so what I see in Mary is, I mean, she kind of answered Jesus' question, but she didn't. Uh, Jesus said, do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? And she says, yes, I believe you're the Messiah. Well, it's sort of the same, but not the same. You know, in other words, Martha, Jesus was trying to lead Martha to the realization, especially with all these statements of faith she was saying, that something could happen now, not in the future. Yet, Martha couldn't see it. Mary comes as well and basically says the same thing to Jesus. That if you had been here, Lord, my brother would be alive. And I see in Martha and Mary great faith. But also, I see two women, even though they were women of faith, whose faith was limited because in their own minds they sort of put a limit on what God could do. They knew Jesus was the Messiah. They knew he could heal. Uh, they knew that Jesus would resurrect the dead. They knew that their brother would live at the resurrection. Uh, they knew that whatever Jesus asked, the Father would give. They knew that. They believed that. They had faith. But it never even crossed their minds that Jesus would have come right then and there and raised their brother from the dead. Which, when we read the story, is kind of unbelievable. I mean, if you believe Jesus is the Messiah, you believe that he will raise the dead, if you believe he would have healed your brother, then you believe all this, then you think maybe right now he could also raise your brother. So it shows me that even people with great faith can limit. They don't limit God in the sense they keep God from doing something. But I think they don't receive the blessing or see God work because they limit what they think God can do. So I want you to think about that, especially the next time you're praying, the next time uh, you're imagining the future, imagining what your life could be, imagining what the life of this church could be. In our prayers, do we put God in a box? In our dreams, are we putting God in a box? Are we asking God for something so specific or so uh, detailed that we're not even willing to look beyond that or have faith that God could do more or do something greater? 
I encourage you in your faith to let it be boundless. Because nothing's impossible for God. So let's pray for the impossible. Let's imagine the impossible. Let's see with the eyes of faith what God can do and the great things that he can accomplish. And not be limited by a faith that's real, but is so small that it can't see what God can do. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there's already a stench because he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so Jesus comes to the tomb. He sees all of the mourners there. Jesus weeps. And the people see that and they reason that he dearly loved Lazarus. Uh, the scripture even say, as I read it, said he was moved. It, it could be translated angry. And, and I've understood that in my life, that as Jesus came, his tears weren't for uh, Lazarus or the sisters. I mean, he's going to raise their brother to life. He knows what's going to happen. Uh, he's angry and he's filled with sorrow for what death does. How it separates. How it brings sorrow and it brings grief. This is what moves, yes, even angers the Lord. So I think it's right when we feel that at times at death. We have sorrow, even anger. Not at God but simply for what death does. It separates us from our loved ones. It separates the living from the dead. No wonder there's hurt and there's anger. But he comes to the tomb, tells him to take the stone away. Jesus prays, and John tells us for the sake of those who are listening. And Jesus prays to the Father, and then it says, after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. He came out of the tomb and there he was all wrapped up in his grave clothes. You can imagine why Jesus wanted him to get him off and why he needed to get them off because there he was all wrapped up. But the obvious truth we learn here is something we should never forget. We don't have to fear death because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him will never die. That's what Jesus said. There is where true freedom is. We have freedom from the fear of death. So many people who don't know the Lord, they don't know what death is. They don't know what to expect after they are trying to run from it, ignore it. They're afraid of it. We don't have to be afraid of death. When our loved ones who believe in the Lord pass, we don't have to mourn for them. Uh, they're with the Lord. They're in his presence. I know you have already lived your life with this 
truth and with this hope. And I know it has helped you as you live each day. And it has helped you when a loved one has passed away. Continue to have confidence and faith and trust in the Lord and allow this truth to bring you comfort. This is why it's one of my favorite stories. Because death happens every day. Tragic death happens. Unexpected death. But we don't have to fear or be mournful for those who pass who are believers in the Lord. But there's one last thing I want us to look at as I close. Because I think this truth I've just shared with you, as wonderful as it is, you said, I've heard that a million times, Pastor. Well, good. I'm glad you have. That's why I told you these are my favorite stories. I know you've heard them before. You've heard the truth before. But it doesn't hurt to hear it again. Well, let me give you one twist that maybe you haven't thought about before. In the New Testament, Paul talks about our life. Let me just read the verses and I'll explain it. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Those three verses, passages from Ephesians, tell us this. Not only are we going to die physically and then meet the Lord, and then one day our bodies be resurrected, but... Paul uses this metaphor of death and resurrection as a way to illustrate and teach us about our life now. And he says, when we were sinners, we were dead. We were separated from God. But he says, now we've been made alive in Christ. Uh, We are new. Uh, So our life before Christ and our life after Christ are completely different. Before we were dead, we were sinners, we were slaves to sin and Satan, but now we've been made alive and now we have the Holy Spirit living in us and our life literally is like death and life. That's how the contrast should be. That's how our life is so different. So since that is the case, Paul tells us to take off the old life and put on the new. So I think of the story of Lazarus and I think about these verses from Ephesians, I think of this. Too many times we who are Christians keep the grave clothes on. We keep our old life on. We believe in Christ, we've been saved, but we want the old sin in our life and we want the old thought patterns and we want the old life. And so in a sense, we're like Lazarus, we've been made alive and we come out and Jesus says, take the clothes off, those grave clothes, and Lazarus says, no, I kind of like these. I think I'm going to keep them on, even though he's alive. He's walking around in these smelly clothes from the tomb, and he, he can't even see because he's got them in his face. And so, but he says, I kind of like these. I mean, they're kind of comfortable. I kind of got used to them over those four days. I think I'm going to keep them on. Isn't that silly? But Christians sometimes do the same thing. We've been made alive in Christ. We have a new life. And Paul says, take off the old and put on the new. 
And we say, well, I kind of like the old. I'm going to keep the smelly, dirty grave clothes on. I want to keep that old, ugly life that I had. And eh, I'm comfortable with it. Well, Paul says this, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead. The context of this verse is calling us to action. And so that's my little twist on the story of Lazarus that you've heard a million times. Brothers and sisters, we need to wake up if we are Christians who are asleep because of sin in our life or we are asleep because of laziness or we are asleep because of complacency. God is calling us to wake up like he called Lazarus up. Wake up, throw those grave clothes off. We've got a job to do. We have a life to live for the Lord. Don't stay in those grave clothes. Don't stay in that tomb and don't stay asleep. Wake up. So brothers and sisters, have that faith in the Lord and don't fear death, but maybe you're asleep this morning. If you are, wake up, take off those dirty grave clothes and let's live for the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning that you have made us alive in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I'm thankful that you have conquered death and thankful that we do not have to fear death. We are going to be with you in heaven forever. So Lord, today I pray that as we live our life, we will live it without fear, but also more than that, we would live it in righteousness and we would live it for you and that, Lord, we would not live in sin or in laziness. Lord, move us to obedience this morning as we respond by singing and praying at this time. And I pray, Jesus, in your name, amen.